Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Dixon, and you are listening to The Graphics Profiles, the official podcast of Graphics Pro Magazine, Expo, and Daily Newsletter, covering every aspect of the graphics industry live, in print, and online. My guest this episode is Shane Wilson, owner of Scott's Bluff Screen Printing and Embroidery and the Zone Sporting Goods and Team Sales. Shane is a 28-year veteran of the screen printing and team sales industries, as well as numerous other graphics and awards applications. Let's take a quick moment to hear from the sponsor of this edition of Graphics Profiles, Sandmark. Hey, I'm Brandon Kerr, tech advisor here at Sanmar, and visiting with me today is decorator relations expert, Jason Murphy. Thanks for joining me, Jason. Brandon, great to see you. We're here talking about an exciting new option for decorators, a DTG-ready version of the iconic PC54T. Now, Jason, tell us what's so special about this. This isn't DTG-friendly. This is DTG-ready. What does that mean? When we talk about DTG-friendly, we're really looking about something that has a clean face, 100% cotton, easy to print. When we go DTG ready, now we're actually removing the need for pre-treatment. We've actually already pre-treated this shirt inside and out, front and back. You can print on every part of the shirt without pre-treating it other than the collar. Wow, that's incredible. It's really, really neat. What it really does is you're gonna spend less time when you're printing, it's gonna increase your efficiencies, It requires a lot fewer chemicals, and for those of you who do pre-treat, you understand when you're spraying this all over your shop, it's sticky, it's gross, it gets on everything, it's not good for your machines. So it really saves the decorator a lot of time, a lot of space, you know, by not needing that pre-treat machine. Yeah, and money down the road too, it sounds like. Huge savings, because you're not just looking at the cost of pre-treat, you're looking at the cost of pre-treat, the labor to do it, the investment into your machine to do the pre-treat. With our shirt, you take it out of the box, you press it for 15 seconds and throw it on the machine and go. Yeah, many customers have already used the PosiPrint version of the DM130, the district tri-blend that we launched last year. If you have, then you know how much it can be a game changer when it comes to that pre-treatment part of decoration. You know, I would say the big results that we saw that came out of this was was the, the pre-treat stains that we used to see. So a lot of different colors would have staining issues and really treating it at the fabric level, there's no staining, there's no rings and, and the feedback has been incredible. Awesome information, Jason. So it reduces cost, it's more efficient, it's another game changer for the industry, and it's only available through Sanmar. Check out the PC54 DTG on sanmar.com. And we're back with Shane Wilson. Thank you very much for joining me today, Shane. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you joining us today. We're going to talk about your business. Uh, You have been... uh, uh, doing screen printing, embroidering, all kinds of things for many years now with Scott's Bluff Screen Printing and Embroidery. You, you say you started about 28 years ago? Yeah, we opened in, 90, in July of 1994. How did, uh, how did that business come about? Well, at the time I was a radio salesperson and one of my, one of my good clients owned a couple sporting goods stores here in town and sports is kind of my thing. I played college college baseball and um, he, I got to know him pretty well. And he, you know, he, he asked me or he offered me a job as the manager of one of his sporting goods stores, but I was, I'd kind of set my sights a little higher than manager. I'd went to college and got a business degree and was really wanting to do my own thing, but I hadn't really figured it out. I mean, I was only 24 years old and I just told him, you know, thanks for the offer, but I'm really hoping to do something on my own. And he goes, well, what do you think about screen printing? And I'm like, 
<laughs> you know, I did that in high school in graphic arts and I thought it was really fun. He goes, well, I order screen printing from one of the local companies and they're terrible at what they do. They don't deliver on time. The quality is just okay. What do you think? And I'm like, gosh, let's, let's pray on this a little bit. So it didn't take me long. You know, I, I found the path and the next thing I know, I'm jumping on an airplane to, to Chicago to a trade mag or to a trade show. And we bought our first manual and our first dryer and exposure unit and all that fun stuff. I got one day's training. Um, I don't know if this name will mean anything to, to anybody, but he's from, from Denver. Um, God rest his soul. But Marlon, uh, Marlon uh, Espinoza is the person that sold it to me, worked for Bullseye back in the day for Charlie Talbley. Those are all, all old guys in the industry. And those guys uh, sold me all my stuff. Marlon came up for a day, showed me how to burn a screen and how to set it up on the press. And boom, I was a professional. Talk about those first couple of days when you were uh, learning screen printing. Was it overwhelming or did you feel like you had a pretty good grasp of it from the start? Oh, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I My first probably week to week and a half was just me making hats and you know t-shirts and sweatshirts for my family and my friends. I remember... I was doing a little construction on the side um, at the time of me buying the store, kind of filling in some from the radio station to getting the store open was kind of filling in some, you know, some money for me. And uh, Tom Rose is his name. I don't know if I'm supposed to use names, but he's a great friend of mine. He got, he would always get angry at me. This was back, you know, this was the early nineties before they had, you know, uh, cordless tools. Everything we used had a cord on it. Well, inevitably, whenever he was trying to use a saw or whatever, I was standing on his cord. So I, my very first hat I printed said, get off my effing cord. Were you working out of your house or did you start right up with a, uh, your own building? Well, interestingly enough, our plans were to put it into my garage and I was going to do it on the side while I was working for the radio station. But my boss at the radio station found out what I was doing and he didn't like that very much. So he called me into his office and said that he doesn't allow his employees to have second jobs. And he actually told me, or I told him, I said, that's no different than me going to the country club and waiting tables on the weekends. And he said, why don't you go be a waiter then? So I picked up a stapler and I threw it at him and hit him in the chest. And I walked out and I called Rich, my partner, and said, I think I need a full-time job now. How long do you think it was before you were able to fully uh, say that you were an absolute screen printer, that it was your full-time job and you were going to make it? Well, I'm still waiting for that to happen. To be honest. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You know, we actually took off really quickly. We were very fortunate. Um, I started out as the only employee. So I burned this, I made the sales and keep in mind that my partner um, was a sporting goods guy. So naturally we have to open up a retail place since now I can't do it in my garage. So he fills the whole front of it full of sporting goods stuff and, you know, Nebraska sweatshirts and t-shirts and hats. And so I was the retail salesperson. I was the phone answering person. I was the screen prep person. I was the screen printer. I was we didn't do embroidery back then, but we did do heat transfer. So I did everything. We opened in October of 94. And I hired my first employee in August of 95. So I wasn't alone for too terribly long. I hired an artist um, because that was the thing that I was probably the least sufficient at. Um, 
And then I hired my first printer, I want to say about four months after that. So within a year and a half, I had a full-time printer and a full-time um, artist. And so that would have been roughly August, September of 95. And then in 96, I landed a huge contract for some contract printing um, for a local company that sold Western t-shirts, all kinds of different designs. And we signed a contract with them where they promised to, to print so many and, you know, so often. And so we, we bit the bullet in 96 and bought an automatic, our first eight color automatic press. And, um, that kind of leapfrogged us into, I think that's when we kind of became players. Cause now I can screen print as fast as anybody and I can compete with any jobs. And, you know, our very first job was a 15,000 piece job for target in Denver actually. And I only got that job because I was capable of printing that many shirts in the time frame, And I was, uh, I had a good acquaintance that worked for the target here and through a meeting, they, you know, they found out that uh, they needed some shirts and they were doing bids. And so I put a bid in and the very first job we printed was that target job. So that was kind of a cool deal. And you just never know where you're going to pick up a job. I'm forgive me if I missed this. Uh, did you get the printer before the job or did you get the job and then get the printer to do the job? So we, we bought the printer because we signed that contract with the Western wear company. Okay. They promised, they promised us that, you know, they would print 144 minimum per design. We had about 45 designs that we printed for them. So we were typically printing four or five jobs per week with them. So that, that's what gave me the confidence to go spend a quarter million dollars to go from a manual shop to an automatic shop. Um, and, but then once we, you know, we bought that machine, the machines coming in, we were able to bid on that target machine. So that was even a bigger bonus, a nice, Nice job at the beginning to get that first payment taken care of. Yeah, probably opened up a lot of doors for other projects down the line. Absolutely. Yeah, if you're, you know, if, if you're a fully automated shop, and I mean, we print shirts all over the country now. I mean, I've, I've created jobs or, or, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I've, I've landed jobs at funerals, and I know that sounds a little bit morbid, but you just never know when you're going to meet somebody. A fun, a, a cool example is I was at my uh, at my wife's grandma's funeral up in Minnesota, and one of her cousins is or was um, the purchasing agent for Cross Timbers Oil Company. And anybody that knows anything about oil, that they're not called Cross Timbers anymore, but back then they were the number one, the largest oil company in the United States. And this this lady was the purchasing agent. She was impressed with the conversation we had after, at the reception and. So Cross Timbers Oil Company sends all of their investors to Whistle Stop Canada in the summertime, and they send them to the Cayman Islands um, every winter. And so we would embroider a polo for all of the actual owners themselves, and then we would print, print t-shirts for all of the wives and, and our husbands and all of the children. And I landed that from a funeral. So you just never know. You just, that's why you got to just be nice to people. Let's talk about the the growth of your shop over the years. You've got a long list of products and services that you provide, uh, starting out with screen printing. What was the next uh, format that you took on? So obviously, yeah, our base our base core business is is screen printing. That's what put us on the map. Um, and then we added embroidery in '96 when we when we moved into. Well, here, here's a funny story for you, and this is a 
this is a huge tip for anybody that's thinking about going from a manual shop to an automatic shop. It's kind of like me when I bought my first camper, I bought a camper so big my truck couldn't pull it, so I had to buy a bigger truck. Well, our our building wouldn't fit the automatic and the, and the press, so we had to buy a bigger building, um, which turned out to be a blessing because we grew so fast, but we moved over there without an embroidery machine. We were, we were sourcing that out. Um, but we just weren't happy with the lady that was doing it. She, you know, she, she made a lot of mistakes, wouldn't, wouldn't accept responsibility for those mistakes. And that just, I don't have any patience for that. And so we just decided let's bring another person on board and we built a new room and into embroidery we went. And so that was pretty much the second thing. And then, um, probably my passion, the third thing we did was team sales. I mean, we had the sporting goods store already. Um, so we have, you know, we're selling soccer and baseball and football and all that stuff right out of the front of the store. Well, then I started getting into the team sales of, and I really, that's, that's my favorite part of the business now is I deal with all the, all the high school and college coaches, um, from all over the country. We have customers in Florida and Texas and California. And I mean, just all over that I've met through my, my dealings with sports through, I used to coach college baseball. Um, a lot of my ex-players are now athletic directors. I've got one in particular in Miami that he's the athletic director for a grade school. And we, we provide them with all of their uniforms and they do new uniforms every, uh, every year for all those sports teams. And so that's a great customer for us. But, um, and then we do all of the equipment, the local, you know, the local college baseball team, we, everything they wear is from my store, from their socks to their sliding shorts to their pants to their shoes to their uniforms to their practice jerseys sweatshirts travel everything their bats baseballs helmets catcher's gear we provide all of that and that's been a huge addition to our store just simply because all of those people need fanware as well so it's created both sides of the business to be you know to be lucrative in the in the sense that I'm doing a lot of the team sales but my printers are are printing all of their fanware and their team uniforms. So that's been a great addition to our business. What kind of uh, licensing issues come with team sales? Um, so typically, you know, if you're dealing with, it depends on what school. So we, we are licensed um, with the local junior college. We're licensed with Shadron State College, which is 100 miles north of us. When you get into the bigger D2s and D1s, typically um, we don't have the ability to do those printing things. I can still sell them their equipment. Um, we used to be licensed with Nebraska, but we've let that license expire just because it's, it's a different world today back in 97, 98, 99 when we were winning national championships and people were, you know, we, I, I told a story at, at your guys' trade show when we were licensed with Nebraska, we had the first t-shirt in Lincoln um, in 90, I believe that was in 96, because we were in the, I think it was 96 or 97, the year that we split with Michigan because we beat Tennessee so bad, Peyton Manning, that was a fun year. Um, but we were the only ones semi-prepared for that. And so we were up and printing by like two in the morning and had, you know, like 7,000, 8,000 shirts on a U-Haul ready to, to go to Lincoln by six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning, something like that. So that was kind of fun, but the licensing gets tricky. So we don't deal with a lot of D1 or D2 schools just because you got to pay all these royalties and, and it just doesn't make it worth your while. And most of those 
most of those schools have their local vendors or their main vendors or their sponsors. You know, like Nebraska, for instance, I'm probably most familiar with them. Every They can't even buy from me if they wanted to because they have to do everything through Adidas. So, um, so I don't deal with that as much. But junior colleges, that's where we get most of our business. And those guys are super easy to work with. All that takes is them giving you approval to be one of their official dealers. Um, and you sign a contract with them. And then I'm licensed to do whatever I want to do. But we do have to approve all of our artwork or anything that we do through their marketing director, which I think is great anyways, because it's, you know, it's another eye to look at what you're doing to make sure that we're not making any mistakes. Nothing else to get the names of the players on the jerseys for the parents, you know, that type of thing. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So what does the future of team sports and sales uh, look like for you? You know, that's a great question, and it's a scary question. Um, COVID has definitely changed the, the sporting goods industry because it's so hard. All of this stuff's made overseas, obviously. Nobody's making shin guards or chest protectors in the United States. Um, and so, like, it's what it's really affected is I have a 4,000-square-foot retail store as well, in addition to, you know, the shop. And so we sell all this stuff, but I can't get any of it. This last year, one of our biggest categories um, is football. Our biggest category is baseball, just because I'm a baseball guy and I know everybody here in town and, and in the surrounding areas and they all trust my judgment. And so most of those teams and, and leagues buy their stuff from me, but I, I haven't been able to get it for two years. You know, I was able to get baseballs this year. But that's about it. I haven't been able to get shin guards and chest protectors because nobody's got them. And then to football. Last year, I wasn't able to get any football helmets. Shut is my main my main distributor. And they had a container with a hundred and some thousand helmets on it sitting in a sitting outside of Long Beach for like six months and they couldn't get their stuff off the ship. So I couldn't sell football helmets. Last year, the year before in in 20, I sold 172 football helmets and take that times $124. That's how much money I lost by not being able to get football helmets. What kind of contingency plans do you have for people coming in looking for those products that can't find them? <laughs> the worst contingency plan ever. And it's to go to the internet and find whatever you can find. And I'll be honest, in 28 years of doing business, I've never bought anything online, but I have the last two years because I'm Here's a perfect example. Um, I needed to, uh, we put an online store on for one of our local, it's the elite softball program. They have a 10U, 12U, 14U and 18U traveling softball team. And we provide them with everything as well, including their pants and we do an online store. Well, we obviously check inventory on everything before we open the store and inventory looked good on softball pants. The store was open for a week and a half. When the store closed, all of those pants were gone. And these people had already prepaid me for these pants. And so what do I do? Well, I went to the big store on the internet that I'm not going to say the name because it might make me sick. Um, and I bought them for $2 more than I charged these people because I had to pay more than what I charged these people. But I did that so that I could service my customers. I could have easily called them and said, you know what? They're out of inventory. I'm just going to refund your money. Go figure it out. But that's not the way I run my business. I am customer service through and through. 
And I've been that way since day one. And I literally lost money on pants, but they were super appreciative of the fan, the fact that they had pants during their uh, first tournament. That's kind of a long-term marketing strategy as well, so that your customers don't ever, you know, start looking around themselves. Absolutely. I mean, obviously all of my customers could go to the internet and find what they need. Um, but I have developed such a relationship by doing things like that. And, you know, and the hard part is sometimes the parents and, you know, the gentleman that's in charge of it, um, he is super, super loyal to me. And, and we're, you know, to be honest, I didn't even like him when I first met him. I met him coaching against him in a football game and he, he ran the score up on me and I didn't appreciate it. So I didn't like him at first, but since we've become friends, and he's very loyal to me. And, and when we were having some issues finding some stuff, of course, his parents are, you know, barking at him. Well, let's just go online. I can get them online. And his answer to them is no. If you're going to play in my program, you're going to do it my way. And Shane is our guy. He donates to our program. He sponsors our program. He gives us all banners for free to hang on the fence. We are not going to go and put our money into the internet outside of town when we've got a local business that has struggled through COVID and take the business and throw it to, you know, out of town, we're not going to do it. And so it's taken, it's taken me building those relationships over the last 28 years. And I can tell you a million stories like that. I just, that's the way I run my business. I hope I come off that way to you guys that I'm passionate about what I do, but I love my customers and you have to let them know that. And you, you sometimes are going to have to lose money to prove your love um, and your loyalty to them. But if losing, you know, $300 on these softball pants keeps these guys coming around for the next 10 years, just think about how much money I actually made off of that loss. And whereas you tell them, sorry, you're on your own. And they're like, well, heck, this was easy. We got these in two days on the internet to heck with shame. We'll just keep ordering on the internet. And that's exactly what would have happened if I would have gone that direction. They would have realized that they had that option. Thank you so much to Shane Wilson for joining me today. You can catch all of our previous Graphics Profiles episodes and tune into new episodes by subscribing to our show on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. New episodes come out every month. And if there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, drop me a line. My contact information is in the show notes of today's episode. Until then, stay safe and best of luck in business.